March 7th, 2023. My name is Jessica Parker. I'm a holistic health coach with a master's in health psychology and a fitness instructor. And today's episode is actually another, this is my second episode with Lisa Parker. She is a nurse practitioner in Ashland and practices functional medicine. And today we're talking about the difference between ketosis and ketoacidosis and really take kind of a deep dive. I love my conversations with her. Um, we go down lots of rabbit holes. So you'll hear and hear, you know, we talk about exogenous ketones. We talk about um, insulin. There are a lot of different things that we talk about. We have so many, you will see her a lot because we have, we have a lot to talk about. So enjoy. Thanks for joining okay, us. So today. really quick though, I'm going to just say, um, Today is March 7th, 2023, and so Lisa and I are back for our second show together, and today we're going to talk about ketoacidosis versus ketosis, and there's a lot to unpack there. Yes. So I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away, because you we were talking uh, before I st started recording, and it was you were going into something very interesting. Ketosis, nutritional ketosis which is a positive thing and ketoacidosis, which is a very negative and actually life-threatening thing. And so what we were talking about before that was the way that the nutritional information is presented in our society. And it's either all good or all bad. Um, there's a lot of uh, headlines. My husband was telling me about a study yesterday. Um, keto diet may cause heart attacks. And when you get to the bottom of the study, it's a epidemiology. There's no basis for it. Um, very you know, small. And the author has to explain why it's not causation. You know, it's, it's not actually showing a link, but the title, which is what most people see, scares them. So um, the reason that I wanted to talk about ketosis versus ketoacidosis is because ketoacidosis is a very scary thing. And it is something that no one should ever experience. But the fact of the matter is, and with a few exceptions, the majority of people who do have ketoacidosis are diabetics. And they're diabetics on insulin, type one diabetics. And that's the difference between a person going on a keto diet and getting into nutritional ketosis versus someone having a life-threatening condition. And that is the people who go on the diet Produce insulin. As a matter of fact, the majority of the people I recommend this diet to for treatment purposes produce way too much insulin. So that's that they're not going to end up in ketoacidosis. So I, I think the scary thing is, though, that people think, well, wait, wow, I go on a keto diet and this could happen to me. But what's more scary about it is the provider, the provider. believe it and don't understand the difference between ketoacidosis and nutritional ketosis. And there are probably more of them than there are regular people who are not trying a keto diet for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, the thing is, if you're producing insulin, you're not going into ketoacidosis. Right. So, right. So, um, one thing that I've always told clients is that, you know, if you're measuring your ketones and it's millimoles, then, um, like from my experience, it's very hard for somebody to reach, like get even past like two. And, yeah. and They're it's like, so yeah, extremely. Yeah. So, and yeah. The majority, diet. yeah, the people who are, who are being recommended a diet like this have metabolic syndrome. 
they're on the diabetes spectrum somewhere on that spectrum. Um, and they have very high insulin levels and insulin is the ketoacidosis. So there, it, it, and it also prevents them initially at least from getting up to where they should be. And so, you know, for my clients, I'm recommending 1.5 to three, pretty much. Yeah. If it's yeah. Alzheimer's or dementia or any other neurocognitive uh, disorder that I'm recommending um, uh, the keto diet for, even people who don't need to lose weight, sometimes it's more like four or five. And it's very difficult. Them. Yeah. Level. Yeah. You would and have to be, I've never seen that level. Like yeah. that's hard work. It is. And sometimes you have to supplement with exogenous ketones to do that. Yeah. In those instances, you know, exogenous ketones can work because what you're looking for are, you know, is the beta uh, hydroxybutyrate for the brain to be able to use this fuel because yeah. the brain patients with Alzheimer's and dementia and other neurocognitive disorders is, is basically starving. It doesn't, it can't use the glucose. And mm -hmm. so you're giving it an alternative source. Yeah. Um, so in that instance, you know, you're not trying to lose weight. You're not trying to get the person to produce their own, which means they're burning their own body fat. I have one patient who has a tremor. We're not sure if it's Parkinson's. Um, and she's very thin. Like her BMI is barely 18. So we are not wanting this age. But we want her in that if we can, three to six range on ketones on a daily basis. And so in order to do that, we're having to, you know, she's having to eat very large amounts of fat, which is good because that can help prevent the, the weight loss. Um, but, but we're probably going to have to uh, use some exogenous ketones with her because it's just going to be very difficult to get that kind of. So. And just so people know, um, so like with, with ketosis, basically you are measuring in ketosis at 0 0.5 up to, you know, whatever, like, like you're talking like four through six, um, which is hard to get to. Um, like with the people I've worked with, it's just like, they're trying to lose weight. And so typically I find that they're like around two point or two to three. And that's, you know, even that can be hard for them, but then just so people know what, um, level of ketones, um, designates that you're in ketoacidosis? Oh, you're, you're looking at 10, basically, 9, 10. And you have massive dehydration and, and loss of electrolytes. And that's that's the real problem. Um, and that's what's really deadly about it because you get potassium levels low enough and your heart will stop. So, or your so um, for these people, it's the high blood sugar. They're they're breaking down their fat, which means they're making ketones because they can't, they don't have enough insulin. There's absolute insulin uh, deficiency or insufficiency. And for whatever reason, e reason, either they're, you know, a lot of like, people will get into ketoacidosis because they're in denial about having type one diabetes. So they'll stop using their insulin. That'll happen. People get sick. So their blood sugar levels go up way high and they don't compensate for that. Uh, or they're not able that there's a mismatch between the insulin and levels. And that of course causes them to pee a whole lot more. And so they, they lose the electrolytes and they become dehydrated, uh, volume depleted and the ketones go up. So that's all part of the whole ketoacidosis. The first is ketosis where you stop using 
glucose. You don't have any glucose because you're on very low carb and you're presumably eating a high fat, low carb diet. And so you switch over at one point, your body has to, to fat for fuel. And when it does, it breaks it down. And then the ketones are what the brain uses uh, along with some glucose that the liver uh, will help produce uh, from the, uh, mostly the protein and some of the fat as well. And that's what you're using for fuel. So that's, and when you start breaking your fat down, then the body starts generating the ketones. So that's why you want to see that for somebody that's trying to lose weight. It's, you're not losing the volume of water. You do lose some, that's that initial dump of about, you know, 10 pounds of weight that people see on the start of a keto diet. Yeah. Um, they're like, okay. yeah, well, I mean, you, you eliminate your glycogen stores and with sugar yeah. goes, so, but you're not peeing, you're not peeing large. I mean, you are peeing it out, but you're not losing the large volume that the, the di- type one diabetic would be losing. You lose some right. electrolytes, which is why you do, you know, some people feel the keto flu that's electrolytes. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. They're low on potassium and or sodium. Um, but it's, you have insulin keeps you into that deadly zone. Absolutely. Can you speak on, um, weight and ketones? Um, because that's something that I have found sometimes I've had clients get stuck on that where it's almost like I need to get my ketones higher. And they think that they're going to lose more weight that way, or they're, and they're not, and they're not doing it. And I, I think, I think what was going on was more just metabolic dysfunction in general, and really like having more to do with insulin and needing to rein it in a little longer for their body to find um, more optimal health. And so it's willing to let go of the weight, but it's sometimes hard because, um, you know, especially a few years ago where I think there was a lot of focus on ketones, specifically people just thought high ketones, weight loss. What, what are your thoughts on that and experience? Yeah. Well, that's kind of America. (laughs) If some some is good, more is better. Uh, and the fact of the matter is the more efficient you get your metabolism gets the less level of ketone you're going to see on that monitor. That's mm-hmm. why people who start out on a keto diet use the urine test. But once they've been on it for a while, it's not showing up in the urine anymore. That's because instead of wasting the ketones, the body is now using it for energy. So more is definitely not better. But, and it's definitely not necessarily going to result in more weight loss. And you're correct. And what I try to teach my patients is you have to cure the metabolic dysfunction before you're going to get down to a healthy weight for you. But once you resolve the metabolic dysfunction and you are eating properly and you're moving around and, 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 and being a healthy person, the weight's going to come off. Yeah. You're not going to, and that's the thing. We're tr- all trying to lose weight in this country. that's not the way that it works. I very rarely do I ever see patients that I'm treating because I see really metabolically dysfunctional patients, diabetics and really bad diabetics on insulin and things like that. And they're, they're not going to lose weight until they get healthy. So they restore metabolic health because you're working against insulin. And I, and I keep telling you, insulin's your fat storage hormone. How are you going to lose weight when you have high levels of insulin? It's just not going to happen. And we know it because we see it with patients we put on insulin um, and other medications that make them produce more insulin. Uh, it's, they gain weight. They don't lose weight. 
So you have right. to keep metabolic health first. And that takes a while. That's not going to happen overnight. So they need, they need to be patient and they need to realize that they are healing. And yeah. once they heal, I mean, they're going to lose some, but once they heal, that's when they're really going to be down to a healthy weight for them and be able to maintain it. Because if they lose it, all the people on the weight loss shot now, the GF ones, I just, I have to love that. Um, you know, so what are you, are you going to inject yourself weekly for the rest of your life? Because they're not healing their metabolic health, the biomarkers. I can tell you that they're not, some of them, their insulin levels go up because they're not pairing it with a diet that's going to heal. So is that also why, you know, it's like, I've seen so many people, I mean, this is kind of the typical thing for women, especially it's calories in calories out, like less calories and balls to the wall with exercise. And then from my perspective, it's like, you're just stressing your body out and then you're impacting your adrenals and your thyroid. And then probably insulin, like you're saying, just because it's all in a big ball of a relationship. Absolutely. And that's what I see too. So your, your men that come in who have never dieted, I've seen some heal their metabolic health with quitting uh, sodas. They don't have to do anything else. They can eat a regular diet. They're not eating processed foods a lot, but you know, they can eat you know, potatoes and bread and all this kind of stuff. And they still heal them their metabolic health. These women have been on every diet yeah. under the sun their entire life. Their metabolism is shot. They're menopausal for the most part. So hormones play a, a big role in that as well. Lack of, lack of hormones, I should say. Um, and then all they want to do is restrict calories. And you start telling them they need to eat fat and they just totally them about because, well, fat has a lot of calories in it. Um, yeah. But until they realize that they need to get insulin down and that is their priority, you know, restricting calories is just going to put them in a state of starvation. And you're absolutely correct. It's cortisol levels are going to go through the roof. And then they add exercise to it and not just regular exercise, but you're right, you know, two hours a day, because this is what they did. And this is, of course, this is what conventional medicine tells you makes you lose weight anyway, right? Eat less and you move more, um, which is, is not, is actually not true. And, but they did when they were younger and it worked. And so when I see them, they're like, but you know, I don't understand. This is what I've done my entire life. Why isn't it working now? Well, because right. you're medically unhealthy now. And, you know, when you were younger, you could, you could deal with it a little bit better. Now you can't. And, but, but they are the ones that are most impatient. Like, yeah. And those are the ones that'll come to me asking for the GLP one injection. Oh my gosh. They want the magic pill, you know, and, and yeah. then tell them about potentially the side effects and, you know, and they don't even hear any of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And probably some of this desperation. Yeah. All they want to know is they yeah want to lose the weight and that's their priority, not health. But when you, mm -hmm. when you do break it down and you show them, cause that's what I do, you show them the biomarkers and you say, you know, that's really great. And yeah, losing weight is a good thing, but let me show you where you are on the spectrum of chronic disease, because now that's, it's not just about the weight. <laughs> right. You're, very close to the bad things that come with chronic disease. And you're going to start experiencing these. So, right. um, and you can be, you can be thin and have that happen. If you beat your body up, you know, 
<laughs> over years. You know, I was that girl and, you know, I was a runner and always counting my calories and did the low fat thing. And of course, like, um, I hit 40 and then it was like, wait a minute, this hormone thing people talk about is actually real. Like, and all of those years of the stress on your body, you know, that's when I learned what adrenals <laughs> because of what I was doing. So, um, I just, yeah, the messages, the messages out there are just so unhealthy. So if we were all metabolically healthy, we wouldn't be significantly overweight. We may have a little bit, but we would not have the problem that we have right now. Just point blank. I'll tell you, I haven't seen a meta really metabolically healthy person. And I look at all the biomarkers. There's a lot more than what conventional medicine looks at um, who had a weight problem. We're all focused and we think that the weight is causing the problem. Overweight or obese causes diabetes. That's not so. The, the pro both the diabetes and the weight are a symptom of the high insulin levels. So you, how are you gonna, you know, losing weight is not going to resolve the diabetes. It's resolving the insulin that resolves the diabetes. And weight and diabetes are both the symptoms. So you see the weight come down when you resolve the insulin problem. When you're talking about the thin people, the fact of the matter is the toffees. So those are thin on the outside. up A larger percentage of the metabolically unhealthy people in the Wow. So example are Asians um, and, and, and Indians, uh, European, well, not European Indians, but, you know, um, uh, Asian, Eastern Europeans, not Eastern Indians, I keep saying European, but Eastern Indians, not Native Americans, although Native Americans do have a, a really bad problem with diabetes as well, but they're thin. They have a little pooch in the front. Mm -hmm. So, but the fat is being stored in the organs. So you don't see it on the outside. So there's actually been a movement that um, Asian women, especially, that BMIs are different for them. So whereas we would say under 25 BMI is is a is a healthy BMI. That's yeah, because they have a very thin frame. So really, they should be a lot thinner, and and in that way would not have those high insulin levels. Because I'm going to tell you, they come in and they definitely do. I mean, they live off of rice a lot. Like a lot, a lot. And so that's, I mean, it's part of their cultural uh, way of eating. And so if they become diabetic, then yeah, it, it's really, you have to work with them work with the way that they eat. But yeah, so in, in Indians are the same way. So very thin, they don't look like they have a lot of weight on them. They have a little bit of a, pooch. you know, uh, it, for the men especially tends to get a little bit bigger and then you know, they have very thin frames very thin legs very thin arms um, but they're storing it in the abdominal area and the problem comes from it being stored in the liver and the pancreas it's fatty liver fatty pancreas that causes the diabetic or diabetes problems yeah my grandmother on my dad's side um had she was um i think she had recently been diagnosed with diabetes when she passed away very thin, very small little lady, but sugar was like her BFF, you know? So, yeah. So when you take in sugar and it's in your body stores glycogen, the rest of it has to be stored away. So it converts it to triglycerides. And when 
The triglycerides are the fat storage on the sugar. They have nothing to do with fat. I think we talked about this on the last one, but so when you have to store them somewhat somewhere. So when you look at that thin person whose sugar is their BFF, where do you think they're storing those triglycerides? In the liver. And that's what causes the diabetes. If she, if she would have spilled her hips, she'd have had no problem whatsoever. So you can have metabolically healthy obese people. There are a lot of them out there. They're very good at storing subcutaneous fat, hips, thighs, everywhere, but the liver and pancreas. They don't store it in their organs. Interesting. When you look at all the biomarkers, they're healthy. And is that just a genetic thing? It definitely is. Yeah, definitely has some uh, a genetic component. Um, it's what you see with diabetes, they, I mean, where they store it is in the organs. And, and usually, I mean, if you look, really look hard, you'll see that the majority that aren't really grossly obese or morbidly obese, um, it's all in the bacteria. There's yeah. a, there's a shape now and it's not a female shape and you see it in these young girls now and it's all belly fat and no hips, no thighs. Women, yeah. women were meant to have hips because, you know, childbearing and, and, and such. And now if you look around, that's not what you see. And this is young, these are teenage girls. And actually I've, true. Well, I've treated quite a few with metabolic syndrome, really, really high insulin levels. Um, yeah, a PCOS kind of goes along with that as well. So a lot of them will come in with fertility and period. And that's what it is, the PCOS due to the metabolic syndrome. So, um... A couple of questions. Um, like if somebody is struggling um, to like even get into ketosis and you obviously like it, it's a metabolic thing, what, what are like, what's the, the advice that you give in terms of like staying focused and like, if there's anything extra they need to do, how do you manage that? Um, I do carbohydrate restriction, uh, high fat, but I, I fasting as well. I tend to go easily together once a person is eating a higher fat, lower carb diet, because that curbs appetite. And so if you're not hungry, don't eat and do fasting. Now fasting is not starvation is when you eat less than you need on, on a chronic basis versus not eating at all. Fasting is a good thing. And that's probably the fastest way to produce ketones um, and to get into nutritional ketosis is, is through fasting. Um, and you pair that with the diet, but you go with, if you're not hungry, you don't eat, you know, and I can't tell you how many diabetic patients that I have that problem with, <laughs> you know, and my blood sugar was up and I'm like, were you hungry when you ate? Nope. Well, why are you eating? Well, a lot of them were told they need six to eight meals a day. Uh, they need to make sure that they get at least 150 carbohydrates a day. These are diabetics. Um, Gosh. So, you know, if you have, you have working with that really helps and they should start to feel better. You know, people are measuring ketones and that's great and everything. I'm all about devices to help us, you know, to meet our goals and to, you know, the continuous glucose monitors and everything are to me are awesome because they help change behavior, but you should have more energy. You should be thinking clearer. You should not want to eat and not feel like you have to. If you're not feeling like 
you're not in the right state of ketosis for you. And the whole point of the video was, you know, ever since I changed the way that I eat, I have so much more energy than when I was younger. I mean, I, I'm the energizer and I think clearer, my mood is even. Um, and I have a lot of people come in with mood issues, you know, a lot of depression, anxiety, and things like that as well. And these are from being in nutritional ketosis. Does that mean you need to be there the, all the time? No, not at all. Once, once you get to a certain point, you should have metabolic flexibility. You've healed your metabolic health. You should be able to go in and out of ketosis. That's what babies do. That's what children do very easily because they don't have metabolic dysfunction. Well, let's just say the ones that aren't metabolically dysfunctional because I'm from Mississippi yeah. where we have nine-year-old type two diabetics with hypertension. So that's kind of fascinating. But you know, those if you have metabolic flexibility, that's what you really be ultimately wanting to achieve, to be able to go in and out um, as as you know the body needs to and and mixing it up. So when you're talking about exercising and people doing two hours of exercise a day, that is a stress. So yeah. if I go out and I do work in a day, well, I'm, I'm walking, I'm moving around, but that doesn't mean that I'm lifting heavy things every day. You know, your, your body needs time to recover, but you should be lifting heavy things at least twice a week, uh, sprinting at least a couple of times a week and moving every day. To me, that's an exercise regimen. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell people, I mean, I now, um, I teach two classes a week and then I usually, I usually work out like two to three days a week, like work out, but then I'm hiking at least once a week. I go on walks every day. I have a large dog around here somewhere. So like she takes me on walks. So, um, it's so different than when I was younger and was like, must, you know, must exercise at least five days a week. And it was like a very specific heart rate has to be this. It has to be this many minutes. I don't care if I'm tired, you know, and I would argue that I'm in better shape now, you know, mm -hmm. because it's that balance and not stressing your body out. Now, I, yeah, absolutely. And I've actually had, um, I could think of one patient that I had in the clinic who we had to literally like put her on rest because that's what she was doing. And she, I mean, her cortisol level was like one or two. Wow. I mean, she had, she was dragging really, really, really bad. And her insulin levels were up. I mean, it's, you know, everything was metabolically unhealthy, but she was literally exercising that hard, that two hours a day, every day. So for the people who believe that you can exercise your way to health. I'm sorry to tell you that it's not so you can't outrun a bad diet. <laughs> I mean, Amen. I didn't say that. That's that I can't claim uh, authorship on that. I definitely not, but somebody, it's absolutely true because mm -hmm. you know, you just you work harder and harder. It doesn't. And you, you know, we're talking about ketones being higher and higher and this being an American thing. And I, I can only speak about America because you know, I'm not in these other places. But we always believe if some is good, more is better. Yeah. It's all about balance. But if you think about, and that's where I am right now and all the, the videos that you talked about, everything, I'm doing actual work. This is, if you took <laughs> our culture right now and you showed it to somebody from the late 1800s, 
And these people are, are working out on machines and all of this stuff to try to be healthy. These people would be like, who's doing your work? Yeah. Who's taking care of your animals? Who's taking care of your crops? Who's doing all the repairs that need to be done? They, they would just think it was so stupid. And that's what it seems like to me when I look at it, because we have so much work to do on here. That there's never a time when I can just say, oh man, I feel so lazy and, you know, I mean, there's always some wood that we need to bring somewhere. And everything is uphill here. So it's like, just walking on the driveway, you get a workout. Yeah, so, and it's rewarding though, isn't it also? I mean. It, it is because we're, I mean, we're almost to the point of self-sufficiency. And it is. And this is this is the cabin that COVID built. I mean, this yeah. was built out of necessity with recycled materials, gotten yeah. off jobs and, and thrown out of people's in, in front people's front yards. I've got doors in here that were literally sitting in the front yard for the trash that my husband grabbed. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so uh I wanted to ask you, uh, um, you mentioned exogenous ketones. And so for me with, with, um, coaching clients, I've always, I really, um, try not to be like, like super supplement heavy. In fact, with, um, keto, I basically tell people there's only one thing that I'm going to say that you must do. And it's electrolytes, not an option. And actually everybody should be doing it. In my opinion, not even people on keto. Um, and that's a whole nother episode we're going to have to do, <laughs> but, um, but that's the only thing. And then there's all these things on the market with the exogenous ketones. Um, I did try them in the beginning because I like to do things like that just so I can become more familiar. And what is this about? And I did appreciate the, um, mental clarity I got from them. Um, I, I really caution people if they do things like that, it's not, a bandit, you know, don't use it like, oh, I can eat whatever I want. And then I'm going to have the exogenous ketones. But I was really curious more for what you were talking about using it therapeutically for people, you know, who have Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and things like that. So where, where are you at with all of that? Well, they're very expensive. So that, that is usually a drawback. You, um, for my patient, I was telling you about we're using MCT right now, because that'll definitely kick up for most people the ketone level. So that's something that can be done that's not as expensive. Um, but yeah, there's there's for them, for people with neurocognitive issues, for sure. Um, but the expense usually is is the, the drawback for most people. Um, but it's not as a substitute and they eat cake. Right. Because, you know, that glucose is doing, if your brain can't use it, that's fine, but it's, where is it going? It's the high insulin levels that are causing the brain not to be able to use the glucose in the first place. So, you know, if you keep doing that, even though you're supplementing ketones, you know, they're canceling each other out pretty much is what's happening. So all the, the ill effects that you're getting from having the high glucose levels, um, you know, it, it's not going to be, you won't be able to heal that with exogenous ketones. However, if you are already doing all the right things and you can't get that level where you need it, then I'm okay. And if, if cost is not a, a problem, who knows? But I would try the MC. 
because generally I can get people up to in the threes with MCT. Those are not people that need to lose weight though, because those, because you have those levels, you're not going to break down your own. Because the, because the brain and the body has the energy it needs by you getting that exogenously. So people who would use exogenous ketones or use a lot of MCT are not going to break down their fat unless they're using the MCT and fasting possibly, and they needed more, they might, but um, it, it does tend to prevent you from breaking the fat down. That's a really good point because I did have somebody reach out to me several years ago. She was actually um, selling, you know, there's a, a, I can't think of it now, but a brand that, you know, people would sell of the exogenous ketones. And I, apparently she was using a lot of it. And so she messaged me, um, I wonder if the reason I've stalled and she, she had plenty of weight still to lose is because I'm using the exogenous ketones. And in my, the way I explained it to her was, was basically, yeah, you're putting a fuel into your body, you know? Mm -hmm. So then your body is like burning that versus your own fat stores, just like you said. So she stopped that and the, the scale started moving again. Yeah. So that's definitely, um, but for, for the neurocognitive where, where you're trying to get really, really hot, much higher than you would just do for regular weight loss, then, then I'm okay yeah. with you. So. Yeah. Her husband actually, um, did not need to lose weight and he loved, um, because he had a physical job. He loved how it helped him focus and gave him a different kind of energy than caffeine. So I thought that's good. You know, again, if, if the cost isn't prohib prohibitive, like you said, so. And you know, so like oil and coconut milk and things like that are poor man's MCTs. Yeah. Not as concentrated, but so, you know, that, um, was actually used in a study, um, was one of the first things I read about Alzheimer's disease and getting significant improvement in cognitive function in Alzheimer's patients and using coconut oil. Was it using uh, uh, purified MCTs? It was just straight coconut oil and a couple, couple, I think two, three tablespoons a day supplemented. And there were really good outcomes with that. So, you know, that's, for people who are doing high fat, low carb, they need the fat anyway. So if you did it as coconut oil, um, you know, up, up to three tablespoons a day, then you could probably see the same good cognitive, um, and, and probably high, uh, uh, ketone levels. I'm not sure if they yeah. actually measured, uh, ketone levels in, in the Alzheimer's patients, but they were measuring the, the actual clinical outcomes and improvement mm -hmm. in uh, uh, doing uh, uh, one of the, like the uh, mental status exams and things like that. So scores were actually going up significantly. And then, you know, family members were reporting clinical improvement um, in, in lots of different things that are, because, you know, the, the brain and Alzheimer's disease, it's thought that it's atrophied and, and parts of it are basically like dead, but it's not, it's shrunk because, mm -hmm. What does the body do when it doesn't have the energy it needs to do anything? Things atrophy. They just, they, they kind of, oh, well, we just can't be as big as we used to be because we don't have the energy to support all of these things that the brain does. As soon as you start giving them that, those areas start to regenerate. And there's nothing to say that they can't completely, but that's, you know, there's a whole lot of research right now on neurocognitive with keto. I mean, 
lots and lots of it uh, right now where they're working and getting significant improvements in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and regular dementia. Um, and then uh, even uh, migraines and uh, anxiety, depression, bipolar, yeah. and er everything on the neurocognitive uh, spectrum. There are lots yeah. of research studies right now. I love that. I've, I've listened to several podcasts and things over the years where like, just like you were talking about, there was a nurse who um, helped her husband who um, had early onset Alzheimer's and basically like almost reversed it with using coconut oil. Um, and she talked about how like good the MCT oil was, but just the certain, certain parts of coconut oil itself, you know, that that you're missing if you just use the concentrated MCT oil and how she noticed a difference in him. Um, and then also there was one about a woman with bipolar and same thing, like just how therapeutic it was for her. And anyway, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And um, just remember what the MCT is, medium chain triglyceride. And if you notice if anybody that's used MCT, you'll see C8, C10. And what does all of that mean? It's the size. The number is designated the size and the smaller the number, the easier it is to get in for the brain to use. That's, that's the reason mm -hmm. for it. So um, that's why a lot of people will say, hey, if you can get more C8, then that's better. So it's all obviously more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Fine and break it down and just to get that. But for people who are, have the neurocognitive disorders in which the C8 is going to help them more than the rest of the, because there are also longer chain triglycerides in coconut oil as well. So um, if you concentrate it down into these smaller particles, they're able to get in and the, the brain is able to use them. And that's why you see with these patients almost looks like a light bulb is going off on uh, in the brain because now the brain's getting the energy so it can, it can get out of its state of atrophy and start working again because, you know, the brain is such a, a, a energy hog. <laughs> I mean, for yeah. its in the body, the proportion of energy it needs. But if you think about what it does, I mean, it coordinates everything in the body. Yeah. So if you don't have energy to do that, you know, I, you know how many patients come to me with brain fog because, you know, it, again, just bringing it back to the video, that's what made me think about doing, you know, mm -hmm. you know nutritional ketosis and talking about ketones, but um, they come to me with brain fog and chronic fatigue and they and I'm like thinking to myself and they're, they're like 20 years younger than me. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So look, the reason you don't have energy is because your body basically can't process the energy you're taking incorrectly. <laughs> eventually, if it's not at that point, eventually it's going to end up where there's going to be excess energy in your bloodstream. And so what is diabetes? It's starvation type two diabetes, by the way, starvation, amidst plenty so yeah. you have excess energy you have <laughs> stored so much excess energy and you have no access to it income ketones yeah. i mean it literally is like a light being turned on because then your body can use the ketones it doesn't require insulin to use the ketones and that's why so if your insulin's not working effectively and it's not getting the, the sugar into the cells where it's needed and you change your type of fuel Mm -hmm. get energy. 
But I will yeah. tell you, you talked about not using supplements. When I first have really, really metabolically unhealthy people, their mitochondria is basically, they're almost shut down is what it is. And a lot of times because of the way that they've been eating, they don't have enough CoQ10. They don't have enough L-carnitine. This is especially true for the vegans because carnitine comes from, well, meat. Sorry, vegans, but here's another one that our body needs a lot of for the cells to yeah. work. So L-carnitine and D-ribose and alpha-lipoic acid and magnesium, all of these are required for the mitochondria to work effectively. And the mitochondria produce the energy. Point blank. So a lot of times I will supplement those things for about two months just to get the patient's mitochondria accepting of using fuel again and actually working because it's like the power plant shut down or yeah. you downsize the power plants. You, you are actually, you know, you obviously are producing some energy because you wouldn't be alive, but you're not producing the energy that you could be producing. So I, I use those uh, in patients, especially if they're struggling um, at the beginning, just to get them jump started. Uh, yeah. So. Absolutely. That makes sense. And I, yeah, I, I do the same. Like there's, especially when I'm with individual clients, you know, um, there are things that we have to dive into. It's like you said, a jump start. you know, like let's get this thing rolling again. Um, can we talk about, um, just how good ketones are for your brain. Like I, and also just inflammation. Like I tell people that our brains love ketones and it's, um, a clean fuel. And so you're not like, um, with, with using, um, carbs for fuel, there's all this garbage and extra work and extra inflammation. And so you're doing yourself so many favors with ketones. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And if somebody's metabolically healthy, and they're not overdoing the carbs, they're gonna be fine, right? Just so that I don't wanna come across as well, you know, you should never eat carbs. But for people right. who are metabolically unhealthy, you're right. First of all, they can't use them. Most, most of the people that I deal with have a lot of difficulty using carbohydrates. Most of them are already diabetic. So all that's doing is just adding to the excess sugar that's already in the bloodstream. Um, clean, clean burning fuel. So the way that I try to say is are like um, kindling for a fire. They burn very hot, very quick, and they're burnt and they're gone. No one would ever make a fire with just kindling because you'd have to keep putting the kindling back on it. Put that log on there, that big heavy oak log, and it burns for a long period of time. Well, that's fat. And so when we're talking fat, the form that the body uses is ketones. So um, if, if you don't have carbohydrates in there as well, right? Because that really prohibits yeah. you from producing ketones if you do. Um, and that's the other thing. You can only use one type of fuel at one time. So if you are eating carbohydrates, you're burning carbohydrates. That's it. You will not break down fat unless you don't eat enough carbohydrates and then your body or it goes into a fasting state and has to produce some form of backup, but it will have to eliminate the glycogen stores before it's able to do that and then switch over to the fat as fuel. Um, and that goes for metabolically healthy as well as unhealthy patients. Um, so, but the ketones are the clean fuel. The bot, the brain actually works better on ketones than it does on glucose. So um, as long as we're not talking about ketoacidosis in a type one diabetic, because that's what we talked about earlier. 
everyone could benefit from using ketones. Um, it's clean. There's no byproducts. It doesn't require insulin. So anytime insulin is required for metabolism, that causes you to produce more insulin. And for the majority of people that builds up insulin resistance. So when you're not having to use it, whether you're fasting or you're eating a, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet, you're burning clean fuel. And there are no, there's no gunky byproducts from it. Um, anytime you are using carbohydrates, there's the risk of glycation. And glycation just means that basically the sugar is getting put on things. And I, the way that I think of glycation is like caramelization. You know, what happens to sugar, you know, it, it's sticky. It likes to stick to things. And so when you're burning carbohydrates, you're running the risk of doing that. And if it does over a long period of time, that's when you see that hemoglobin A1C go up. That's glycation of the hemoglobin molecule. So it's how much they're measuring how much sugar you're putting on that hemoglobin molecule. And that's how we're for the, the majority of providers are diagnosing prediabetes or diabetes is based on a number of, of you having excess sugar, basically on the hemoglobin molecule. It also results in uh, uh, atherosclerosis as well, because that's what makes those LDLs become more sticky and makes the membrane, we talked about this last week, of the lining of the blood vessel get leaky to where those sticky particles can get into it and cause plaques to develop. There's so much, there's just so much. Um, before, before I forget, I wanted to talk about um, testing because just like you were saying, so when I have people who are new to keto and they get excited about like, oh, I'm going to use the urine strips. Um, so there's like three ways that I know of that you can test for your ketones. My favorite is blood. I feel like it's far more accurate. Um, and I also love companies like Keto Mojo have the, um, you could do blood, your ketones and glucose with the same monitor. Um, which I think is excellent because I think blood sugar is so important to like be aware of. Um, but then have you ever you used a breath? Um, what do you call it? You know what I'm talking about. Lumen is, uh, is one of the brands that you can use. Oh. It's the second um, for people who don't want to stick their fingers. I think that's probably the, the blood is the best. Yeah. It is the most accurate because what you're actually measuring is is beta hydroxybutyrate um but the the breath one is the second most accurate and generally it would be people who don't want to stick their fingers um, but you're right and, and actually uh, i recommend keto mojo as well to my patients unless they have a continuous glucose monitor and the reason is because you're wanting to see how your body is reacting to the food when you're when you're measuring a glucose let's say you measure an hour after you eat but you've measured before, um, with the rise that you're measuring is called a postprandial spike. And if you're getting above 40 for anybody, um, but for some diabetics, actually above 20 would, would be a, a high spike. Um, but if you're going above 40, what that's actually telling you is you've had to have a massive insulin spike to, to cover that blood sugar. So if you're able to measure that and the ketones, you can see how you're reacting to the food and whether that food is nutritional ketosis friendly or whether it's booting you out of ketosis, because that might be what's happening to some of these patients. I know 
some of my di diabetic patients, especially have been eating all this keto food, which is just driving me. Because yeah. my, look, my husband will come home and say, Oh, look, I found keto something. And I'm like, no, if it's processed, I'm sorry, but it's, it's actually registering postprandial spikes greater than 40 and booting people out of ketosis. And if it's doing that, just because it says keto, I'm sorry, when they tell you net carbs, it's not always so. Right. So it's a very individual thing, which is why I like the meters to measure it. But yeah, yeah blood is absolutely best. If, if I can't get them to do blood because they're just not going to stick their finger, then, then breath would be the second, second most accurate. Urine is not. At the outset, it's okay to use. But after that, it's not accurate at all. Yeah, that's what I tell people. Like, if you really, really want to know right now and you don't want to spend very much money, you can do the urine strips, but do not like get married to what you're seeing on that strip, especially after just even the first like few weeks. Like, I wouldn't even like, I mean, because I've seen people also like get upset later on when they're not seeing it register. And I'm like, that actually probably means that your body is really utilizing the ketones. It's not spilling out in your urine. So that's good. And you know, a diagnostic test, the number that you get with it is great, but what's going on with you clinically as well. Yeah. So are, are you having that abundant energy and your appetite is suppressed and you're thinking really clearly and your mood's better? Who cares what a urine strip shows? Yeah. You know, at some point you become so much more efficient at using these things that your body doesn't have to produce as many. And that means you're yeah. healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you have any um, last thoughts on the topic? What I said in the beginning, and I, I think there's so much misinformation out there about everything that... I'm not surprised that, that we are in the state of metabolic dysfunction that we are because well, who do you believe? You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really so polarized right now that, um, you know, people are just giving up and they're like, well, you know what, you know, one person says this is bad. One person says this is good. So how can they both be right? And the fact is they can't. So I guess, you know, learning to read between the lines, getting with a provider that can actually look at all the biomarkers. I show my patients, we see the improvement. We've yeah. two months, we look at them from where they were and they can see where they've moved to if they've been doing what they're supposed to do. And it's very encouraging to them. They know how they feel as well, but we show them healing. You know, if you just listen to the popular news and, and then you just go to conventional medicines 